Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Matthew 25 and beginning in verse 14, I'm going to read just a few verses here. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. This morning, I want to preach to you for just a little while. My place in his kingdom. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I've got a place in the kingdom. Amen. We've got a place in the kingdom of God. If you would join me, let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we have felt because it is evident that you are present here today. I'm asking you, God, that you would help me to deliver the word you have put on my heart. God, help this crowd to receive it, Lord, and to apply it to their lives. We're gathered here today, God, because of you and you alone. This is your hour. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Matthew chapter 25, we're reading here from a parable where Jesus is teaching about talents. But Matthew 25 is the second chapter of what is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. This discourse is just a lengthier teaching from Jesus. The book of Matthew has several discourses found throughout it. The most famous one of all, probably the Sermon on the Mount. But this discourse begins in chapter 24 and flows all the way to the end of chapter 25. Jesus had just got done in chapter 23 teaching in the temple and he was speaking to a crowd and he was speaking and teaching very strongly. He was speaking about the 
hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisee, and his language was strong. And over and over and over again, verse after verse after verse, we read and hear that Jesus is calling them out for this hypocrisy. Now he steps out of that temple and makes his way to the Mount of Olives and finds himself there a place to teach. That's chapter 24, but there's no longer a great crowd. There's no longer the scribes and the Pharisees. And the entire tone of what Jesus was going to speak to shifts. Because now he's just with his disciples. He's just with those folks who are committed to follow him. The ones who have already made up their mind that there's nothing that's going to hinder me following Jesus. And then he begins to teach them. Now, I want to get to this place in chapter 25, this parable of the talents, because God has a word for us today. But Jesus did something very intentional and methodical in this discourse He didn't just teach on topics that were weighty by and of themselves. He built something. And he started in chapter 24 with laying a foundation and and teaching on the end times and teaching on the coming of the son of a man. And if you take that entire chapter together, it's really just Jesus wanting to solidify in the minds of the disciples that there is a day coming when I will return for my church. He just wanted to make it clear and to make sure that they didn't misunderstand. He told them that no man knows the day or the hour, but God knows the day and the hour. There is a precise time that is already established of when the Lord is going to be returning for his church. And so building block number one is Jesus teaching the disciples that you need to be certain that you grasp the weight of this. There is coming a day. That leads us into what he begins to teach in chapter 25, verse 1, when he starts going into the parable about the ten virgins. There was five wise virgins and there was five foolish virgins and they were gathered together to go and to meet the bridegroom. So they gather their lamps and they start their journey only to find out that he is hindered in his coming. He's not showing up when they thought he was going to show up. And so they take time and they rest and they sleep. And and then the cry comes that the bridegroom is coming and it's time for them to go out and meet him. But there was only five that were prepared with enough oil to go and to meet the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom came, he took with him only those that were ready. It was not enough for the disciples to have this understanding that there is something weighty, eternal, that he's coming back and he's coming back for his church. Jesus didn't stop there. He put the next building block on top of that and he taught them that you need to be prepared when he comes. Not everybody's going to get to go when he returns. He wanted those disciples to understand that I'm coming back for a specific people. And I need them to be ready 
Because if they're not ready, they end up like the five foolish virgins who are left behind. They don't get to go. They were scoundering around last minute, trying to get some oil, trying to buy it, trying to get prepared. But none of that worked. And they found themselves left behind as the bridegroom took the other five. Jesus wanted them to know it, and he wants us to know it today. That's why we can't hold back the message of salvation. That's why we can't dance around what it takes to make it into the kingdom of God. That's why we tell people you've got to be born again of water and of the Spirit. If not, you don't get to go. Man, why do you guys harp so much on repentance and baptism in the infilling of the Holy Ghost? Because it's what it takes for us to be prepared. If all we're doing is gathering together in the church week after week, slapping each other on the back, having a good time, grabbing donuts and coffee on Sunday morning, but when he returns, we're not ready. Then how bad have we missed the mark? Jesus said, I need you to know I'm coming and I need you to understand, be prepared for it. That's why anybody at any time can turn to him. They can turn from their sins and they can turn to him and God will take them on. Whosoever will, let them come. It doesn't matter how broken. It doesn't matter how hurt, how backslidden, how lost they are. It doesn't matter. God said, turn from your wicked ways and turn to me. He'll receive them. And anybody that makes up their mind can go down in the waters of baptism. We got a, a young lady being baptized today at the end of service. She's going to make sure she's ready. She's preparing herself for the coming of the Lord. She wants to be in alignment with what the word of God teaches. That's why we don't get off beat on that. That's why we don't dance around it. We want people to experience salvation in everything that it is. We want people experiencing the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the certainty that they spoke in a language that they don't know, not some language that someone made them copy, not some language where someone tapped on their chin. It doesn't take any of that. It is a gift from God. And we speak as the Spirit gives the utterance. And so Jesus lays building block number two, letting them know they need to be prepared. That brings us to the text in chapter 25 that we just read beginning in verse 14. This is where Jesus takes us from being prepared in our hearts being prepared through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And he shows us what a prepared life should look like in the parable of the talents. And so in reading this, we see that the master comes and he calls his servants and he gives them a unique amount of talents. One got five, one got two, one got one. And in my curiosity, I was trying to figure out what is the value that he was actually giving them? Because when you say it like one and two and five, it doesn't sound like a whole lot. 
And so in looking into this, we find out that in New Testament times, a talent was just a unit of exchange. Its value depended on the type of metal, gold, silver, or copper. The talents in this parable have been widely thought to be silver, which I'm okay with. They didn't provide a whole lot of proof, but copper's on this far side, gold's on this far side. Silver gives me an idea of what was being given to these servants. And so when you look at that, the earning power of a talent coin then was the equivalent of about 20 years of wages for a working man or a foot soldier. 20 years of wages for just one talent. So I was curious, what's the average income in Indianapolis for an individual? And I looked it up and the last they recorded was in 2020 and it was right at $30,000. It's the average income for an individual in Indianapolis. And so you take that $30,000 and you times that by 20 and you have $600,000. And that was the least that was given to the servants. Now, when I hear that, I get excited because I was the kid at the mall that walked past the pace car that had the little stand in front of it with a notepad and, and, you know, fill out this paper, drop it in the box, and you have a chance to win this car. I couldn't drive. I'm putting my parents' information down on there, dropping it in. If we made four laps around the mall, that was four ballots. I dropped every lap, got a ballot. I was always intrigued by being able to get something for nothing. Like, man, being able to win this car would be incredible if I could just get that. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to do anything to earn it. It just, it's there. I'll drop the ballot in. And if I win, yes. And when I think about $600,000 being given to just the one talent, I think, man, what would it have been like to be those guys? But that's not really what happened. He wasn't giving them this wealth for them to invest for their own agenda and to make their own gain. That was not the purpose of the money. In fact, in the text, when we're reading it, it's very clear that the man called his servants. They belonged to him. And he gave them and delivered unto them his goods. And so what was really taking place here is that he was entrusting this great wealth to the servants so that they could invest it and make great gains for him. At face value, I'm out. It's not the same thing as dropping the ballot and winning the car. Now all of a sudden I'm doing work that's not bringing me gain but bringing my master gain. He's going off on a journey and leaving us to do the work. When we compare and we liken Christ to the master and ourselves to the servants, the talents represent all the working capital that God would entrust to us. 
limiting the significance of talents to either a single spiritual gift or natural abilities or opportunities for service or money or whatever you would fill in the blank with would grossly limit the scope of what Jesus intended. These things constitute for us what God has given his servants to use for his glory. Look, every one of us in this place, we have unique abilities, giftings and personalities and resources available to us that we should be using to advance his kingdom. Some got, one got five, one got two, and one got one. It's so easy for us to get stuck here when we take this out of the parable and we start applying it to our lives the way Jesus intended us to. Because when we start looking at it now, that means that Jesus gave some more than he gave others. And to make it, to make things worse, in verse 15, he said he gave more to those that had greater Ability. If I wasn't mad the first time. Here's what he's saying. God created us as unique human beings. And when he created us, he gave us certain ability. Okay, follow me. Then he gives his creation certain gifts or talents, or resources. And he gives them an abundance based upon the ability he created them with. So, I now have less than someone else has, and God did it on purpose. There's no question in some areas where I lack. During worship, I get the temptation when I have this mic on to flip that button to the on. That green light pop up and let those guys in that sound booth hear me singing. They'd be lining up asking for hazard pay. Like there's some things I just know I don't have talents and gifts in. But that doesn't take away the fact that when Brother Devin gets up here and God uses his talents to bless the kingdom and to bless the body that I get jealous or that I get upset about that. We shouldn't be bothered by the fact that God who knows all built us uniquely perfect and gave us specific abilities and brought along with that gifts and talents. Why? So that the task at hand while he's gone can be done. So that while he's not present here on earth, his work continues to go forward. How incredible is it that God who knows every challenge, every need of every person everywhere takes individuals and builds us specifically so that he can use us to minister in those areas of need. He set this whole thing up 
so that it can be a success for his kingdom so that we cannot fail when we're faithful in using our gifts, faithful in using our ability and faithful in doing the work of God. We can not fail. God, God has given us these gifts and you guys are receiving this really well. Wives, don't let your husband start complaining about his lack of gifts on your way home. Husbands, give her a few hours and then you don't let her complain about her lack of gifts on your way home. Because it's easy for us to talk about in this context, but it really starts to unfold in real life among the body. As we come to church and we see that I had a gift, God gave me something that I thought was going to bring value, but then when I got here, it appeared that my gift was not needed. I thought that the things that God put in my life and, and the things that he had given me could be used for his kingdom, but then I start to look at what other people are able to do, and it brings down how I feel about myself. I was convinced that God was going to use me in a mighty way. I was convinced that I would be able to be someone that he could count on. And then all of a sudden I start to see everyone else that he's using. And I realize how I don't measure up. It seems unfair for me to have to be a one talent person when we know God made two talent and five talent people. Why do I got to be the one with one talent? Why did I draw the short straw? Oh, you want to laugh about that? Short guy, short straw. That was not my intention, but it's funny. It's okay. But the reality is we start to question those things in our flesh and we wonder about those things because it's true. How come you get more than I get? You want to start a fight in politics and in social media? Let the government say, I'm going to hand out something to everyone. And then them say, but this group gets this much. This group gets even more. And this group over here gets even more. That's not going to fly. People will lose their minds. It's in our nature. It's in our flesh for us to want to push back against that because it seems like there's an injustice. It seems like there's nothing that's fair about it. I want to be the five talent person. I want to have the great capacity. I want God to trust me with much. Here's what I want you to know. The five talent person doesn't always look like what you think they look like. And their gifting isn't always what you think it's going to be. I'll tell you about a five talent individual goes to this church. If you haven't met him, you should get a chance to meet him. He's not here today because he's taken a group from Indiana Bible College to New Mexico for a mission trip. Brother Jim Sleva, five-talent guy, has the capacity to handle a lot of things that God puts on his plate. You wouldn't tell it by looking at it, though, because it doesn't seem like what you expect with five talents. Five talents, you think they look nice, right? Sharp suits. Brother Sleva could care less. 
I'm not, I'm not sure he's ever bought a new suit in his life. That's no dig. It doesn't matter to him. I'm not sure he ever bought new shoes in his life as an adult male. It doesn't matter to him. When he got out of Indiana Bible College, a five-talent man looked like somebody that was traveling over to across the country to Germany, where he went from base to base to base, teaching about Christ, loving on people, with no support, with no friends from America to go with him, all by himself for years doing that ministry in that service. And then he comes back to the States and, and starts working at Indiana Bible College and he lives in Fountain Square when Fountain Square wasn't cool. If you're new to this area, Fountain Square hasn't always looked like this. Fountain Square had some of the highest crime rates in our city. Drug deals, prostitutes, gang violence over and over again all across Fountain Square. It was not safe for you to walk outside. You definitely wouldn't be walking your puppies. And Brother Sleva lived right in the heart of that. And that five talents gave him the capacity to work with young men, to pray with them, to love on them, to care for them, to encourage them. He would walk out of his back door and down the alley and, and go to the house there. I'll spare the names and the details, but there was all kinds of things going on and he would be praying for them, and loving on them and helping them. He would leave that house and he could go down to the next house and there would be boys hanging out on the porch there and he'd be working with them. And God gave him the capacity to be able to process that while I'm pouring into them and it looks like they're just about to take that turn for what's right, then he gets the call. Died in a drive-by. Or they died of an overdose. Or they just killed somebody and now they're going to be in prison the rest of their lives. Think about what you're asking for when you say, I want to be the five-talent guy or the five-talent girl. Because the five talents comes with more responsibility. Because God's going to give you more. He's going to expect more. He didn't bicker with the two-talent guy when he came back with two more. Neither did he bicker with the five-talent guy when he came back with five more. But the five-talent guy had to have five. And somehow God expanded his capacity and his ability as a five-talent person so that he could handle the weight of that. So that he could get phone call after phone call at 10 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock in the morning. Some kid strung out somewhere needing a ride. Some parent just out of their mind because they don't know how they're going to help their kid call him Brother Sleeper. I'm telling you, when it doesn't seem fair to have one talent, think about that. It's not all roses, it's not all easy. Five talents doesn't just mean big house, big car, big career. It doesn't even hint to that. Those things don't even matter in God's economy. They don't even hit the radar, they don't move the needle. This is why we should be completely content with where God has us and what he's given us. Each servant, although given different amounts, was given everything that they needed to complete their assignment. 
They lacked nothing to accomplish what God desired for them to do. You and I, we lack nothing to accomplish what God designed us to do. We have everything that we need to bring about his will in our lives here on earth. So we should not be jealous. We should not be resentful. Jesus knows what we can handle. So he will not underestimate our ability by giving us too little or overwhelm our ability by giving us too much. God knows what he's doing. And I understand that we hit those places where we feel like we hear what the word of God is saying. You hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, but they're not resting in a settled place. Because you do struggle as much as you wish you didn't struggle. You do struggle sometimes with just figuring out, God, how are you going to use me? God, in everything that you're trying to do here on earth, how are you going to use my gifts and talents? Because I don't even feel like I'm a one-talent individual. I feel like maybe as you were going through the factory and, and just creating individuals, somehow the machine got broken and stopped right here. And then when you fired it back up, it started on the next guy and I was left with nothing. You need to know that God created you as a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. In God's eyes, there's no one else like you. He fashions you for a specific purpose and as long as you're faithful to him, you will get it done. I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one. I'm going to read here in verse, I'll start in verse four. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And look at Jeremiah's response in the very next verse, he says, then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. God is speaking to him, telling him who he is and who he created him to be. But even hearing from God himself was an internal conflict as if he could carry it out. I am but a child, he said. And then the Lord spoke back to him. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee. I am with thee. Before he formed you in the belly, he knew you. Before you were in the womb, he sanctified you. 
He ordained you not to be a prophet. That was Jeremiah's ordaining. But he ordained you for a purpose. Every person in the body of Christ is ordained for purpose. God has something that he's not going to be able to pawn the work on someone else. It's yours. God is looking to you and trusting you for your faithfulness so that he can accomplish his will here on earth through you. He didn't tell the, the money changers, the servants, how to go and how to exchange and how to make gain. The understanding was is that his servants knew him well enough that while he was gone, they knew how to get the work done. We've got to be in close enough relationship with our Lord that while he tarries and waits for his return, we know what it is that we need to be doing. We put our gifts and our talents and our resources and our personalities to work for the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus started teaching in chapter 24, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when the sky will split and I'm going to return for my church. And I'm only coming for those that are ready. So I need my people. I need my servants. I need you to go. I need you to be faithful and I need you to work. Don't be jealous of one another. Don't discredit the gifts I've given you. Use those gifts for my glory. I'll tell you what we need. Brother Crabtree, can, can you help me out here? You know, you guys all laughed about the short thing earlier. Brother Crabtree made a joke when I brought this shovel. I promise I had larger full-size shovels in my shed. I want to admit something to my wife before the whole church. When I pulled this out of the shed... <clears throat> it was filthy. Dry dirt caked everywhere. Everywhere. And because I'm a one-talent guy, the first thought that came to mind was the best place to rinse this dude off in is the bathtub. Look, you laugh. It made perfect sense. The bathtub is deep enough. Everything would be contained into one area. And so I put it in there and I turned the water on while she left to go to church. And then when I came back to get it and dry it off, the bottom of that bathtub, well, you can imagine. So I said that in front of the whole church, hoping that that would buy me some grace. Here's what happens. Going through life, we get beat up. And maybe last year or last month, we were strong in understanding that I have value in his kingdom. And we recognized that our gifts maybe were not as glamorous as some others' gifts, but we knew that we were doing something good for the kingdom. 
And then life happens and time passes and our flesh rises up and, and we start to think of the gifts and the things that we have of being worthless and of no value. We start to respond like the man that had one talent did in the parable. We start making excuses about, about who we are and, and what God really expects of us. And, and could we even do anything with what we have in our hands? And we dig a hole and we place our talents in that hole and we cover it up and we pat it down and we move on. And if we're really honest with ourselves, every one of us through the course of time has buried some things along the way. Can you guys hear that? I think I'm done with this watch. I'm glad I was listening to something soothing on my way in. <laughs> but every one of us along the way, whether we're a five talent, four, it doesn't matter. We reach a place and throughout life, we bury some things. And here's what I feel with all my heart that God is wanting to do in this service today. He's wanted to resurrect some of those things. Maybe you started coming to church a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. And when you came, you got baptized, you got the Holy Ghost, you was on fire. You was ready to take on the world. And then somehow over time, it started to fizzle out and the gifts that you thought you had that were going to be such a big impact that the church could use, that the kingdom could use, you found out there was like 40 other people that seemed to have the same gifts and the same talents. And so without ever really telling anybody why you seem to be discouraged or why you seem to be unhappy, it's because you took what you had, the things that God gave you, and you dug a hole and you buried it. But here's the good news. The master has not returned just yet. He's still out. What we need to do is we need to get a hold of some shovels. And we need to start digging. And we need to unearth those talents and those gifts. Because those things that we thought that had no value the things that we thought were worthless, that we buried in the earth, God is just waiting for that resurrection so he can use those gifts for his kingdom. God has plans for those gifts. God has need of those gifts. But it starts with us digging. We gotta be willing to say, I don't care who sees me with the shovel. I'm not embarrassed about that. Doesn't bother me at all. I know that God fashioned me for a specific plan and I want to live and walk in that plan. So I'm going to dig. I see other people have those same gifts that I remember bearing all those years ago. I'm not answering for those people. I'm answering for myself. I'm answering for what I'm going to do with my gifts because all God cares about is what you do with what you have. He will never judge you based on what you don't have. 
He's only going to judge you based upon how you use what he gave you. That's it. And so while everyone else is doing what they're doing, you grab your shovel. Oh, man, you realize it's been a while. It's been a while. Man, that hole was a lot easier to dig when I was burying my talent. Now I desire to get a hold of it more than anything. And it just seems so hard. It's worth it. It may take some work, but it's worth it. It may take some effort to break through that ground, but it's going to be worth it. You're going to get your joy back. You're going to get your happiness back. You're going to get your belonging back. You're going to remember why you're doing what you're doing because God gave you those talents. He gave you those gifts. Don't let anything stop you from digging. Don't let hard dirt, don't let judgmental attitudes, don't let wondering eyes, don't let the voices of the world, the voices of the enemy stop you from digging. Boy, because when you get that dirt, you get that, you break that ground, you get that dirt out of the way, and you catch a glimpse, you start to see start to see what it was. How beautiful it is that God would entrust me with that. I'm telling you, it's going to come with a spirit of repentance because you're going to want to tell God, I'm sorry I buried it. I'm sorry that I buried it, God. I'm sorry that I allowed comparing myself to others to cause me to bury what you gave me, to treat it like it had no value at all knowing that you gave it to me for a specific duty. God, help me. What do these gifts look like? I tell you. They look all kinds of different. Is a preaching a gift? Sure. Is singing a gift, sure. There's a lot more gifts. There's a lot more talents. I was telling the gentleman, and Sister Denny was in there as well. In our pre-service meeting, I said, I got a text on March 10th. Text I received on March 10th was from Billy Brooks. I've received texts from him before informing me of how he's doing medically and reminding me, you know, I got this going on and this coming up and keep us in prayer. And we communicate via text and try to encourage him. But, but this time the text read this. Brother Lopez I have been praying for your family. I pray that God puts a hedge around you all. 
And that was it. Just a few words. What's God care about? That we use what we have. Brother Brooks has been bedridden for months and months and months dealing with this ongoing sickness. He is in need of an absolute miracle. And he could sit there in that bed and he could wonder to himself, what can I do for the kingdom? What difference from this bed of sickness could I make in the kingdom of God? And then he shoots that text. And he has no idea for probably the last four weeks, I have been having focused, intentional prayer, asking God to keep my family. God put a hedge around my kids, put a hedge around my wife, put a hedge around me. And when that text came through, it was confirmation that God has been hearing my prayer. So Brother Brooks, if you're watching, thank you for using what you have. It made a difference. It made a difference. That wouldn't make a difference to anybody else. No one would understand how God was using that gift of thoughtfulness and kindness to impact my life because it would mean nothing to you. But to me, it meant everything. To me, it was God reminding me, I haven't forgot about you. I've heard your prayers. My eyes are on your family. I got your children. I got your wife. Don't you worry about the enemy. I'm building a hedge. Stand with me. Men's conference just passed. I was standing right over here Saturday. I want to say morning. I think it was afternoon. Brother Hoffman's kind of an extended preacher. A little long-winded and Really good, like incredibly good, but I was standing here. It was afternoon time by then. Service has ended. Worship was incredible at the end. Altar call, prayer, so powerful. And Brother Golden, I didn't ask him permission, so I won't even look out there. No eye contact with you. Brother Jim Golden nudges up next to me. He's like, like you can see the presence of God all over him. Could you see it? And he said, I'm here a lot by myself, cleaning. And he said, I try to spend time with the Lord when I have those times by myself. But as his eyes are filling up with tears, he says, I'm going to do more. I'm going to pray more. And I'm going to worship more when I have those times of cleaning in these spaces. Because I want to impact the atmosphere for when we come together to worship. He had no idea what I was preaching on today. No idea what we were going to talk about. 
And yet he put on display for all of us to see. Use what you've got. Use what you've got. The musicians could help me. I want us to turn our attention to the Lord. I want us to start to think about God help me to identify the gifts in my life. Look, I need you to focus because I don't want you thinking about the gifts in other people's lives. God help me to see what you've given me. What have you put in my hands? What can I use to advance your kingdom? God, help us now. We can lift our hands all over this place. Jesus, in your name. Help us to see it, God. Help me to recognize, Lord, that those things that I've thought were pointless and worthless, those things that didn't seem to make sense to me, God, and sometimes those things that I didn't even want, remind me of what they are. God, bring to the forefront of my mind what you have put in my hands for your glory. God, I pray that all over this place, for those that have buried their talent, that they would get a hold of a shovel this morning and that they would dig. God, that they would unearth those gifts you gave them and that they would put them to work. God, help us as a body of individuals that you created with specific purpose in mind to align this morning with what you desire to do. God, we need you. You're the master and we're the servants. The goods that we possess, God, are not our own. They belong to you. We're not using them to build our own kingdoms. We're not using them for our own gain. But God, we want to build your kingdom. Jesus, in your name, God. All over this place, God, help us to make up our minds, to solidify in our hearts, to be able to say to you, God, we will 
advance your kingdom. I'm going to work for your glory, God. I'm not going to let anything hinder my work in your kingdom. Because my place in your kingdom is a place of faithfulness. I'm opening up this altar and I'm asking you in this building that if you are willing to say to God, I'm ready to work in your kingdom, then make your way down to this altar. Not if you're happy with your gifts, not if you're five talents, one talent, two talents, three talents. None of that matters right now. All that matters are we willing to say, God, I will use what you've given me. God has a plan on how he's going to move on this earth and it's going to be through us. God doesn't have a plan B. He's using his body to reach this world. Your gift and your talent and your personality and your attitude and your resources, all things that God has given to you for this purpose. I'm sorry that somebody hurt you and told you that you were worthless, that you had no meaning and no purpose and no value. I'm sorry that that caused you to dig and I'm sorry it caused you to plant deep within the earth your gifts. But now God is asking you. He's putting a shovel in your hand and he's saying, dig, dig, dig. I need you to be equipped with those gifts again. I need you to be willing to let me work through you so that when I return, there's more that will be prepared. Oh, in your own words, just give that to him.